In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I break down the Jalen McDaniels trade, going over what the Sixers gave up to acquire him, our initial impressions of what kind of a player McDaniels is, on where we think he slots into the playoff rotation, and whether or not he was the right player to target at the deadline. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner joined by Rich Hoffman to talk about a blockbuster of a trade deadline, which is true league-wide, just not for the Philadelphia 76ers. Before we get into all of that, how you doing, buddy? Buddy, I'm doing pretty good. It's, uh, yeah, look, it's, it's quiet, which for us was not the case last year. Last year was... Yeah, it was a little more fucking yeah. crazy. <laughs> Sorry, f bomb. Twenty we, seconds into the pod, but <laughs> it it really was crazy. We've had a, so had a couple because we had a, we had Tobias. Now Tobias wasn't a, a a on the trade deadline deal. It was like two days beforehand, but that well, was one that of was those overnighters. Um, it was, it was like, like three a, a.m. at night. Yeah, it was yeah, like Kate. I legitimately like woken up to Rich Hoffman giving me a call at like three a.m. I thought Awful. I could go to sleep on that one. I could not. We had to write about it. So this was a little better, at least in terms of when it occurred, but maybe not the blockbuster that I think some people were hoping for. Not not even necessarily blockbuster, because I think most people understood. Certainly, if you listen to our previous podcast, you would have gotten a sense that they just didn't have a whole lot to work with in terms of trade assets, in terms of draft capital. You know, I think a lot of people, ourselves included, expect them to target more of a big man. We'll see what happens in the buyout market. I think a lot of people, ourselves included, thought if they were going to prioritize getting under the tax, hopefully that would be shedding of someone like Furkan Korkmaz or Jaden Springer, not Matisse Thibel. I think for some people, they'll look at him, Jalen McDaniels I'm talking about now, and they'll say, all right, great. You can shoot a little better. You can handle a little better. He gives you a little bit of the defense Matisse gave you. And I think other people will sort of look at that and be like, all right, these were your two best trade chips that you were realistically going to include. You, you know, your best trade chips are Maxi and B and all that. They weren't trading that. But in terms of what you were actually had to work with, Matisse Thibel and what is now the 34th pick in the draft were probably your two best trade chips. Some people are underwhelmed with the return on that and are really worried about what they'll do with the backup center. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Probably not all the way worried about what they're going to do, but I think more, yeah. more underwhelmed and more worried than not, I would say of, of the two. Doesn't help I, when uh, we're recording this podcast after that debacle up in Boston. Probably doesn't help. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of similar because I remember the Tobias trade. You mentioned that they got their ass kicked yeah. by the Raptors yeah. that night at home. And Landry Shamit was like the only guy that played well. I remembered and the Raptors played, who were and, surprisingly buyers at this year's trade deadline. By the way, I don't know what the hell that guy's doing. Masai is like, he's like the guy in your fantasy league that just overvalues all of his players just because he made, you know, the great Kawhi for DeMar swap the one time. Yep. What, what are you doing? I mean, it, it does okay. go to show you that there are uh, even the best GMs. You can, you can go to Bob Myers in Golden State turning a second pick in the draft to a Gary Payton a second. Even the best <laughs> ones just make completely head scratching decisions where it feels like everybody saw that train wreck coming and they still just overplay their hand, even, even the best of the best. How are you? I mean, it, it's crazy. With at Toronto, I have no idea what they were doing. They, they could have tanked. Now they're going to try and get the eight seed and get their doors blown off them in the first round and then 
pay Fred Van Vliet for and and Jake Puddle for. I mean, that that was, what was that? A top six protected pick? Whatever. We're talking too much about the Rams. <laughs> anyway, I, that really that bothered me more than anybody what they did. I I don't it was understand stunning. Stunning. how they uh, like evaluated their team and said, okay, this is uh, what we're going to do. As for the Sixers, I am not too crazy about what they did just because I'm not even saying it was th- th- there were better options on the table, but it's like you said, they gave up both Thibel and their pick. And I, I get it. They got a couple of picks back. Yeah, who fucking cares about a 2029 second round pick? I'll, I'll tell you I'm who sorry. doesn't care. Other, other GMs don't care about that pick. That pick does not have, tra- like I saw some people like, Oh, they traded one pick, two picks. So that means they got more, trade flexibility no they don't nobody cares about throwing in that 2029 second round pick the the pick that had the most value was that 34th pick by far by far i was about to tee you up for that because i saw your tweet but you know what you (laughs) you jumped on it that's good nobody gives a shit sorry okay so they used their two assets and they basically got slightly more conventional matisse thibel you know like it slightly i I get it he's not a conventional player though no he's not He's not all the way there. He doesn't strike me as somebody who's a lock to be in the playoff rotation. No, I agree. You know, I, I think he's right now. I would slot him in Matisse Thibault's spot, which is yeah. the tenth guy in the rotation and somebody who might not play in the playoffs. So, and, and I, I think the other issue with Jaden McDaniel's before we even get Jaylen. into his game, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually five thousand times. I published my article and I control F Jaden and I had zero and I was like, oh my god, I feel like like I'm gonna pat myself on the back for that one. But Jaden McDaniel's Jaden is, is his, his younger brother. Yeah, he's also related brother. to a, an, another former NBA player. You know who that is? McDaniel's KJ McDaniel's Jawan Howard. According to oh. Basketball Reference, he is a cousin of Jawan Howard. I don't know how close of a cousin that is, and I don't I haven't verified that, but that is according to uh, Basketball Reference. Well, I never would have gotten that one. That's a much so, older cousin. Yeah, well, that can happen. Can so, happen. yeah, just just looking at it, uh, I, I think the biggest thing with Jalen McDaniel's, and by the way, I am going to mess that up. 85,000 times. It's well, because be- we talk about Jaden Springer so much, and it's just right on top of your mind. So when, when I look at him, though, and, and this is, you know, I, I guess the question for him moving forward is that Matisse Dibel, you say what you want about him. And look, we've been, I think, pretty honest about our skepticism of him moving forward. That dude has had to play for a team that has real aspirations his entire career. Yeah. I get it. He plays with a lot of talent. He plays with Joel Embiid. And uh, McDaniels has not done that he has not played with very talented teams, but he's also played with teams with no expectations, like literally none, like teams that we have gone out of our way on this podcast to be like, what the hell are they doing on defense? Are they even trying? What what direction are they running in? Do they and understand where the basket is? Yeah. Yeah. So to get that kind of player, which I, I think a player who, you know, look with wings, some, sometimes they develop late. I, I get all of those things, but somebody who I think has, Similar questions to Thibel, if not the same questions as Thibel. I don't know. I, I don't think it's it's awesome, you know. And, and I, I'm looking at the backup center spot and thinking, man, you, you better have something up your sleeve on the buyout market, you know. I kind of look at it that way. So overall, I'm, you know, I, I get it. It's not the uh, most of the big moves were done in the summer. Those are the things I would put more weight on. Uh, 
grade them more, but I, I'm underwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I, I kind of want to, you know, I'm going to spend the next pretty much this weekend watching a lot of McDaniels tape from specifically yeah. this year and see kind of like whether I believe in that growth. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a big thing I'd like to say. Like, I, I still don't know what he's like. Exactly I don't watch a ton player. of Charlotte basketball. No. I just, I just don't care about them that much. If uh, Shaq says that you have to be a top 10 player for him to watch you, like, I'm not there, but you kind of have to be like, I don't know, like a top 27 team in the NBA for me to watch you too much. And <laughs> Charlotte just doesn't qualify and rarely has over his four year career. If McDaniels pops, we should make a meme of you saying, I'm sorry, I was unfamiliar with your game or whatever <laughs> yeah. that one is. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I haven't watched him. It's just I don't go out of my way to watch very much Charlotte basketball. So. Certainly, we will, I watched a bunch earlier today, but my I, I, I kind of see this going two ways. Because when you look at him, there's a lot of parts of his game that are question marks, especially offensively. He fell back down, only shooting 32% from three after shooting 38% last year. He's now shooting 34% for his career. He has pretty much a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. He has never generated very many shots for his teammates, or quite frankly, it's all that good of a decision-maker. He doesn't really get the free throw line much at all, especially given his size and athleticism. Overall, he is for his career, a sort of like mid fifties, true shooting percentage, which with which with a low usage role player is not something you would want to see, especially for a role player who gets a decent chunk of his offense in transition in a half court. He's a pretty inefficient offensive player. There's a whole bunch of these things. So I think a lot of people are looking at this and going, oh my God, he can actually sort of dribble. And he has sort of like a lot more functional athleticism, at least offensively with the ball in his hands than Matisse Thibel had. This is great. You get some approximation of Thibel's defense and a guy who can actually take a guy off of a dribble at times. And he did shoot 38% from three last year. Hallelujah. I'm not sure I buy into that really. And I, like I said, I can see this going one of two ways. Either he sort of gets into a much more limited role because quite frankly, Charlotte's offense is trash. Part of the reason why they're not on my, you know, top 27 or so NBA teams that I care to watch. They're just awful to watch. That offense is awful. Maybe you put him in a structured system with James Harden creating space for him and creating looks for him. And you say, look, your job is just to finish. Either get going on the move and finish at the rim, catch and shoot from three. But all of this, like creating off the pick and roll stuff that maybe you got away with because there was nobody in Charlotte. That's gone. You're done. Never happened. And he becomes a more efficient version of himself. And then you can add that to his defense and, you know, some of the bad decisions go the way because his role is more limited. Yada, yada, yada. You get a pretty good three and D relatively young role player, three and D I'm air, air quotes because he's not really a three point shooter, but he might be able to in a good year, maybe shoot 34, 35%. It's just enough to kind of be sort of semi-respectable, not gravity, but respectable. The other way I sort of see this going is you spend sort of like the first month of his Sixers career going, oh my God, look at this. He can dribble. This is amazing. Matisse would never give you that. But then you spend the rest of his Sixers career going, oh my God, why are you dribbling so much? Stop dribbling. Because his his decision-making, his ability to finish plays is just not good enough for some of the decisions and the shots that he took in Charlotte. And whether or not he can fit within the Sixers role and, and succeed and excel in that Sixers role, I think is going to paint a lot of how we look at this trade in four months. And quite frankly, it's going to really decide whether or not he's in the Sixers playoff rotation. I do think the defense is legitimate. 
I don't think it's as good as 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 Thibault, but I think he he can hold up in the playoffs on defense. I do believe in that. The offense is a huge question mark, though. I think it's a big question mark. Yeah, and you know, in the limited footage I've seen of him, like when he run, when he's running pick and roll, when he's taking guys off the dribble, it's it's pretty mechanical. Yeah, you know, it's like slow. It's it's not something that I would enjoy watching. No, that's got to be gone. Of. That's got to be gone. And yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head here. Where and and look, maybe they get this right, but it, you said it correctly when you said, "How does he do in a limited role?" And like when I mentioned before that he played for a team in Charlotte that just had zero stakes, just uh, no stakes. Like that's the team that Joel Embiid scores fifty points a game on because they don't give a shit, and Lamelo Ball throwing the ball all over the place. Sometimes guys will get off those teams. And go to the Sixers, who, like, actually care and actually, like, you know, can't afford to screw up on defense. Or when they screw up on defense <coughs> in Boston on uh, Wednesday night, the entire game, people will call them out for it. And it actually is, like, harmful to their record and their seeding. And it actually matters. Sometimes when guys get in a more limited role on those good teams, they thrive, you know. So maybe he is one of those guys. It's just a... It's a big question mark. And I know that, you know, just judging from the Twitter reaction, this is somebody who has fans around the league. Like they see the the length. They see that he is able to put the ball on the on the floor. Somebody who did see him make a few threes in games last year. Some of the blocks and steals. The blocks and steals numbers, not quite on Thibault's level, but pretty They're good. good. Yep. Pretty pretty damn good. Also, uh good much better rebounder than Thibault as well. Yep. And he probably, you know. I've looked on uh, on cleaning the glass. It seemed like the last two years he toggled between shooting guard and small forward as his main spot. Perhaps somebody who could play up in a more switchable lineup as well in a way that that Thibault might not just because of his size and his rebounding. We'll see. We'll see about that. Uh, there are a lot of, I, gu- I guess, theoretical things you could yeah. do with them. But I, I, I go back to what you um, what you said about the dribbling. It's like we talked about. It's kind of like Josh Richardson a little yes. bit. It's obviously a different yes. type of player where it's like three and D, and it's like, eh. Is he really out of? I'll give this to Sue McDaniel's. I do believe in the defense. I think he is at least a defensive player. Uh, but everything else, I am very skeptical. And even even a three ball, like people are making a big deal of it. He shoots thirty four percent for his career, and he's not really even younger than you know. He was a redshirt freshman, came out after two years in at San Diego State. He's 25 like he's a half a year younger than Thibault he's not like super young and for him to be shooting 32% from three on low volume like that's not super encouraging I get that it's different and it's not the guy that we're used to but I think outside of getting more opportunity this year I think it's it, it, it would be if you were a Charlotte fan I assume they do exist you would probably be a little disappointed in his development of his three ball over the last four or five years because he's pretty much shooting the same percentage he shot as a sophomore at San Diego State Especially because we we talk about you know they, they play terrible defense they don't care about it he look Charlotte's offense is a great system to play in I know they suck at it but they just spread the floor with Lamelo and Plumlee and PJ Washington playing the five sometimes like you're allowed to bomb threes for that team over the years and if you look at his career numbers I know he shot it well last year his career numbers both from a uh, a volume standpoint and an accuracy standpoint they're like just a little bit better than Thibault's, but they are below average, man. So is it, by the way, is it all that surprising to me that Matisse did not go for more than that? Not really. Yeah. You know, like, I, I think we kind of understand that Matisse is a wild card. Um, 
as much as people tend to overrate their own players, I think the rest of the league, you know, it's it's like always like we talked about with Ben. They they get TNT too. Like they they watch those games as well. They yeah. ESPN and in literally every NBA city exists. A late so, first rounder would have been like best case scenario. Re- more realistic was probably two seconds. But yeah, I don't. I don't know if this moves the needle all that much. And by the way, I, I say this as somebody who like I didn't trust Matisse in the playoffs. I, I didn't really the on off numbers. It's true that that he has played pretty well in a limited role, but it's it's kind of like we were saying on the last pod. There has not been the organizational trust level in him this year. Like he's got his minutes cut, he's played pretty well defensively. It's been like a decent Matisse season in terms of creating havoc. The on off numbers are good. They just didn't trust him because of what he's done in past playoffs. Like it, it's very clear to me that that is the determination that they made, and that they said everybody else in this rotation we consider has a better chance to stick on both ends of the floor in uh, in the postseason. And to be fair to that rationale, like he has not changed as an offensive player. So yeah. now I will say this, though. If McDaniels is kind of a more conventional um, master of, you know, basically a master of no- nothing, I think uh, master of none, sorry. I, I, I do think there, there was some value in keeping Matisse like, you know, I don't know if Matisse was going to play in the postseason, but I do know that every playoff matchup is different. Different teams require, you know, different skill sets. Frankly, the Sixers' biggest weakness is Matisse's biggest strength. As we saw in the fourth quarter of his final game on the Sixers, their perimeter defense was so fucking bad. Yeah. They had to put him on Jason Tatum, and that was the right move, I thought, for a decent amount of time. Now, you know, they're playing him and Tucker together, so... Was that spacing ultimately going to work? But they actually got back in the game in part because they started helping less and they had him play Tatum. I, I, there was some value, I think, in having him just be the F shit up guy for the playoffs, yeah. you know, like just the the curveball once in a while. Okay, maybe you're not a part of the regular rotation, but if you're getting torched by somebody, okay, throw him in for five minutes and see what happens. Yep. And I'm not sure this guy is that. So, you know, he doesn't have the one elite skill that Matisse does. So, you know, it's... It's one of those things where it's like, look, it's wait and see. We'll see how they develop this kid. We'll see how this kid develops in a, you know, in a better rotation on a on a team with real expectations. But I I don't automatically think it was a home run. And obviously, you know, I guess I'm teeing you up for this. I mean, very financially motivated move. No, that wasn't a consideration. No, not at all. Josh Harris does not care about saving that money. Uh, look, they ended up saving. I think the Current projections are right around fourteen million dollars. Is the luxury payment they will, or the 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 sort of kickback from the luxury tax that is collected uh, that ended up going down a little bit in part because some of the Sixers got out of the luxury tax, and in part because other luxury tax teams trimmed how much they're giving. So I think we said it was sixteen point four, or the estimate was sixteen point four million they would get back. That has dropped to like fourteen. I apologize to Josh Harris. I hope he will be okay. It also means that the repeater tax is pushed back another year and that they will not qualify for that next year. That is probably the bigger concern because I do think this team is going to get very expensive very quickly and they could be significantly over that cap or that luxury tax threshold next year. So I guess the way that I would explain it, I I saw some people like come at Daryl for this. I don't think Daryl wants to, I don't think Daryl's goal is, oh, we can't play luxury tax. I think his goal is to do what the owner wishes. 
And if Josh Harris, just as a hypothetical and, and one that I wrote about the other day, if Josh Harris comes to him and says, look, I'm willing to foot like a $50 million luxury tax bill next year, but 75 is too far. Well, then you got to avoid the repeater tax. And if that's the mandate, then you do what you have to do. I just wonder is, you know, could you have done that in a different way? Maybe if you hadn't picked up Jaden Springer's, not Jalen Springer, Jaden Springer, going to try not to mess that up like you did. If you hadn't picked up Jaden Springer's fourth year option, could you have just given teams cash to take him? San Antonio? Could you have just dumped him on San Antonio and get him cash? Was there another way to get under there? Maybe to satisfy Furkan's trade request? A, a way to get under that luxury tax poor, threshold? Poor without, Furk, by the way. Yeah. Over two on 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 attempts to to get traded. Um, He's now, too important. Now, the last time he did this, well, uh, right now he certainly paid too much. I doubt they will, you know, waive him right now so he can go find a home. He could be a trade chip in the summer. I think they're all going to look at it from that perspective. And since we already saw Furkan not raise hell when he wasn't traded back in 2018, was it 2018? No, uh, 19. No, I think it was, I think it was, well, it doesn't matter. 19. A while ago. It was 19. After they didn't pick up his third year option, I guess they can probably bank that he's not going to raise hell this time. It would be nice for Furkan to go somewhere where he can play. But uh, anyway, it would have been nice to get under the luxury tax in a way that you didn't lose a potential disruptor on defense. But like I said, you really have to believe that Jalen McDaniels is a viable playoff player to be happy about this trade. And if you are, I think there's reasons to think that he might be better equipped to do so than Matisse. Then you're yeah. probably relatively happy with this deal. If you're skeptical of that, which I have my concerns, but if you're skeptical of that, then you're probably very disappointed. And like I said, I want to spend a little more time watching a little bit of McDaniels in Charlotte to come to my final conclusion. But my initial hunch might lean a little more towards the skepticism side. And especially when you factor in that they didn't do anything about the backup center situation. We'll see what happens with the buyouts. And. Well, they, yeah. I mean, they have a great history with backup centers <laughs> and buyouts. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, they'll be able to, they have enough room under the luxury tax where they can sign someone to a prorated minimum and have them be on the playoff roster. The rules for that, again, the minimum salary gets prorated. So there's basically about a third of the season left. So you will have room under the luxury tax threshold to do that. And also players just need to be waived by on or before March 1st. And they can be signed anytime up until the final day of the regular season. As we learned a couple years ago with our buddy, Greg Monroe, he was waived in pretty much right after the deadline by, I believe it was the Nets. The Sixers signed him in early April. A week later, he was starting a playoff game. So we will see if it shakes out any better this time around. I think it might. You know, I wrote the other day that like there was a lot of talk of Nerlens and like, you know, oh, he's the most likely piston to be traded and, you know, they're not going to buy him out. And maybe they don't because he's got a lot of guaranteed money next year. But I would sort of wait that out because I thought the the sort of smoke that he was going to be traded was might might have been a little blustering. So we'll see if he becomes available. Well, a lot of the just, others well, they just traded for Wiseman today too. So yeah, a lot of the other buyout options aren't really appealing. Like Dwayne Dedman, Serge Ibaka look he's, pretty he's washed to me. I don't know. We'll he's see. Dead, man. Yeah, he's dead. yeah, exactly. 
So, you know, if, if someone like Nerlens doesn't shake out from the buyout market, you might just end up trying to go with a wing just because they might be a better player and you might yeah. see playoff Trez. And, and that's where I, I think I ultimately fall on this whole thing. Cause I, the buyout is important too. And it's, there's a degree of, I don't know to this where it's McDaniels. I don't know how he projects as a player completely. And I don't know what the buyout looks like, but if you were to kind of take another hypothetical and say, what would happen if you, if you got a backup center that was worth a damn, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, well, backup center X, would you feel better if you had Andre Drummond and Matisse Thybul still on the roster instead of Jalen McDaniels and buyout center X, you know, would that be a better playoff rotation? And I think there. I'm just like leaving it open that even as a pretty big Matisse Thybul skeptic, the answer to that might be yes, that, that actually they did take a step back with their rotation. Now is, is it the end of their rotation? Yes. But when we look at that backup center spot, I, I understand that like it's a wings league. Everybody can use three and D everybody can use switchable players and defense, which McDaniels, as we've mentioned, like might fit into that bucket he theoretically does at least they have one hole in their rotation right now and it is that i don't know what they're getting in the 10 minutes that joel Embiid plays it's the same hole they've always had and we'll see what they do on the buyout market but they left it to the buyout market last year and it was a disaster they had more time to fix that at least last year they were getting james harden because to uh to create that hole this year they don't have that excuse and frankly, I don't want to get too much into that game because as we mentioned before uh, we started the pod, the Sixers, one of the best nights of the year for them to just lay an absolute egg. I mean, yeah. that is just completely embarrassing to lose to that team when you can just get right back into the Eastern Conference race. I don't want to hear that Boston shot a high percentage from three. They were shooting layups the entire night from beyond the arc, right. and they were good shooters. It was terrible. Maxi and Harris, awful, and beat bad in the second half. Terrible defensive game plan. I mean, just really, I don't know. Have a little pride. I, I don't know. I, I guess is is how I would uh, frame that. But within that, the same problem as always is that Montrezl Harrell is your backup center, and it's like, what are we doing? Yeah. Like, like wh- what are you doing? Like, he's he's terrible. And so, especially because know. there's so much talk coming up, like, oh, the Sixers are prioritizing that. They're searching for that. Well. For a brief second, I had some confidence that maybe they realize that Trez at the five is a disaster or Trez on the court is a disaster. I don't want to imply that he would be better at the four. He wouldn't. And maybe they do, but I'm not sure the coach does. And if they don't force Doc's hand, I think we're seeing playoff Trez. And that scares me. It scares me. No, I mean, look, playoff Trez. If that happens for even five seconds, it's a failure. And this trade deadline is a failure that they weren't able to get a backup center. It just if is. It's not going to happen. I don't want people to stop say- playing them. I know. You need I to know, print. If, if, if B-Ball Paul is your only other option, you need to fucking play B-Ball Paul. And I get, I get, I get PJ Tucker is an option, but you need a, a, another option in case you run into a matchup where PJ Tucker at the five is just not tenable. You, you, you can't, you, we, we can't do this where we talk. Why is he still playing? 
DeAndre Jordan when we know he can't play in the playoffs. It's it's ground. Oh, oh, I can't, I can't. And this is this is where the skepticism comes, right? Again, we're not there yet. They might be able to get a backup center on the buyout market if they get Nerlens. Then I'm not going to talk about this, and it'll be okay. You play Nerlens and you play Tucker. That's you like fine. me? You spent a, a good amount of time uh, Wednesday watching some Jared Vanderbilt, only for him to get pulled out from under the rug. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I didn't feel like Utah could. Uh, you know what's funny? I thought Utah was asking for too much. That was kind of the word, and then they really didn't get a lot for those yeah. guys. I didn't think. I, I no. thought the Lakers. That was an. It's it's weird for you to me to say. Rob Palenka got the better of a value trade with Danny Ainge, but I think he, I think he did in that case. So yeah, I mean, Vanderbilt as you know, he was one of the rumored options. I was just like, Oh my God, we're going to have a switchable center. I don't know what to do with my life. And then I, well, didn't want to take me outside of my comfort zone. So we get to complain about the backup center some more. And Vanderbilt's not perfect. He's just switchable. Yeah. So I, I guess that's how I look at this, uh, trade deadline. Is it the highest stakes move in the world? No, but did they have a chance to improve the team a little bit? Yeah, and, and I don't know if they did it. They might have, and it really all depends on McDaniel's development. Does he actually hit as a wing? I just, I don't know. I've seen enough of these wings where, you know, you take a flyer on these guys. They're a bunch of them have tools and are readily available. Not a ton of them hit. Some of them do. Yeah. That's what makes them super valuable yeah. when yeah. when they do. Uh and and that's where we're at. And and the backup center is tied into it as well because it's like you said, if you know, are, are they just going to keep now that it's the trade deadline? Is is Doc going to stop playing Tress? I don't think he's going to. And is this going to be game eighty? Is this going to be game eighty two where you're going to be grilling Doc on why the hell he's playing Tres and and Doc is going to be indignant? I mean, seriously, like it'd be freaking Groundhog Day if that happened. I'm going to say so, it's slow so we can all pick it up. Nice, had that one ready. I've got two. I've got I've got two on my soundboards. Well, that makes it easier. But that's sort of my fear is McDaniel's doesn't hit and you don't have an answer at the one like actual hole that your rotation yeah. has. No, my 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 stance this entire time has not been B ball Paul is good and ready. My stance is you have to get B ball B ball Paul ready because Trez can't. It's the same freaking stance I had last year with DeAndre. And Doc changed it literally at the final minute. And Paul Reed held his own relatively well, all things considered. But to have basically gotten him no real experience this year when Montrez Harrell cannot play in the playoffs. I really hope they would solve this problem here at the deadline. He's getting to the point, and I know his on-off numbers are better than people. Paul, I'm I'm sick of watching him in the regular season too. Yeah, like, this no, is he's enough. he's been a disappointment in the regular season for sure. sure. Enough. I I don't I, I don't really want to watch this anymore. He's just not. He hasn't been very good, and I, I don't know. It's he's not good at professional basketball. He used to be in the regular yeah. season for sure, for sure. but it yep. just hasn't been the case. And I think the other bummer about this is the buyout market, which I'm sure the Sixers would have ranked high on a lot of teams' list. I think they need to get a backup center because like, and that sucks because Danny Green could be available. Yep. And by the way, I, I just mentioned that. I was just like, Oh, Danny Green's going to be on Houston. That's an obvious buyout candidate. I was like, and that'd be a good one. Like not just for the Sixers, for a bunch of teams, people just go, no, he stinks or whatever. Uh, Enough, enough for the Danny Green slander. That guy was a great soldier for this team, and he was one of five guys who could actually play in a second-round playoff series last year. 
losing him hurt you in both playoff series. Totally. We don't know if he can, if he can come back really like he's, he's back. He's played three games. Yeah. I don't know. We don't know, especially with the defense. Like we've got to see him play, which you might not even get that opportunity before he's bought out. So we'll see. But yeah, there's, there's, I think, I think the garden wing buyout market is going to be deeper than the center one, which as you all know, by now we've teamed up with bet MGM this season. We'll be using the bet MGM lines to make all our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10.00. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager we'll see um all right around the league any anything else really catch your eye in terms of like how a, I, how it relates to Sixers, I think it was probably a pretty good trade deadline. You got Kevin Durant yeah. out of the conference. The top of the East, right, you've got Crowder going to the Bucks, and you've got Boston getting um, old friend Mike Muscala. So they've added minor pieces. We'll see how Crowder plays when he, now that he's playing. Outside of that, not a whole lot of activity from playoff teams in the East. Cavs pretty much sat it out. I think Miami sold, only sold off. I don't think they added anything. So not a whole lot of real activity the Raptors added, but if you're worried about the Raptors and what are we doing here, I say that, but somehow they'll scare me if we draw them in the first round. So I think outside, I think the Sixers have a better chance, not so much from their own moves, from what happened from other teams in a conference, to advance to a conference finals or beyond. But any other major takeaways from, I think it was a pretty active trade deadline. Helped in yeah. large part by the dysfunction of the Brooklyn Nets. I certainly think the West was the conference that got better. Like the East has been the better conference the entire season, in my opinion, and especially where the Sixers are hanging out at the top of the conference. That has, I don't know if it's shifted all the way, but the West certainly got a lot better with KD and, and Kyrie being the two main pieces that moved and basically removing a, uh, you know, a contender from the East, certainly like, Sixers should get one of those top three seeds now. I know Cleveland is a really good team, but you got to hold them off. Get one of those top three seeds, and uh, yeah, they'll probably play like Toronto. It's funny. Toronto's the team that we'll talk shit about their general path and what they're and taking. And then it'll be like, oh they, my God, they got long they play defenders, Sixers. and what are you going to do? Oh, and, oh yeah. no, now they got they got Podol for the Embiid matchup. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's like you said. I think the East certainly got weaker. 
the the Durant thing, pushing them out west is it's a help for them. There's 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 no question. Yeah, outside of that, not not a whole lot. I mean, obviously a, a very fun trade deadline, a lot of big small moves, a lot of those things. I I just think outside of Durant though. I'm not seeing the ones that really affect the Sixers directly. I think most yeah. of the fireworks were in the West. Yeah. No, I think I think the Lakers got better. I don't think sure. they got better enough that I'm worried about them making the finals. And even if, I mean, you're only playing one final team. So even if the Lakers and the Suns and the Mavs got better, it's only one of them is going to matter when all is said and done. And even for that to matter, the Sixers have to exceed our expectations. So yeah, I think I'm a little bit, I, I think the Nets did, pretty well for themselves considering the position that me too i don't want to say they were put in because when you sign kevin durant and kyrie irving you kind of put yourself in that position but considering all the dysfunction and turmoil over the last couple of years i think to walk out of there with a number of really intriguing young players including bridges who has a tremendous amount of value both on the floor and as a trade chip and all of those draft picks i think they did a pretty good job considering like i said they were they were pretty far behind the eight ball and when you have Kevin Durant playing at a top five level, you're not truly behind the eight ball. That player will always have value in a trade, but I think they did pretty good digging themselves out. I think I think we're seeing that for these teams that even go all in and mortgage their future, as long as you keep the star and the star doesn't completely fall off a cliff, yeah. there will be resale value on that. And the Nets got a shit ton. And I think in some ways moving forward, they're in a they're not in a great situation, obviously, because they don't own their own picks and the only max guy they have on the roster is Ben Simmons right now, so it's not it's not perfect. Like losing those guys, you'd rather compete for a title with them. But they are in a good position where they're allowed to rebuild and not give a shit about being the worst team in the league. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's uh that's about it. I mean they they got I thought they got plus plus value from what I thought they would get for both of those guys. Yeah. The Durant And I think trading I thought, Durant now was smart. Rather than yeah. waiting till the offseason when he's probably going to ask out, when Phoenix has lost one year of their potential champ, because like they're getting him to make a championship run this year, maybe next year. You know, while, while Chris Paul can still play NBA basketball, they want to make that championship run. Getting him now, while they have this year to do it, is a lot more valuable to them than waiting till the summer when Durant might ask out. You might lose a lot of leverage and a potential trade partner. I think it was smart to be proactive on this one for sure. Can't wait to watch that Phoenix team play. I think they. They're not automatic title favorites, but they're they're very good. Yeah. And I, I think Kevin Durant and like Chris Paul handling the ball and Kevin Durant on one side of the floor and Booker on the other side of the floor. That's it's gonna be crazy. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a bitch to guard. Yep. Especially if you like run a pick and roll with any of those guys and DeAndre Ayton in there. But the Nets, I thought, did a great job because they got everything. I mean, to get bridges and ones Johnson. Where, like, both teams can win. Yeah. It, I agree. I, I do Agreed. dislike how we sort of cover trades because it's like both teams have very different objectives. You you can accomplish both. I, I do think Phoenix probably paid more than I was expecting them to pay, but they're doing that to give themselves real legitimate chances of winning a title the next two years. I get it. You tend to overpay when you do that. I, if I was a Phoenix fan, I'd be like terrified of what they look mm-hmm. like in three years, but it's a price to pay. It's it's why I'm 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 envious of teams you know, like like the Warriors before they bungled this Wiseman situation, but who were able to build that core all through the draft because when you do that, you just have like your lifespan, the timeline, the potential for a dynasty is just so much longer than when you're trying to buy these stars 
when they're two-thirds or more of the way through their prime. That's why you kind of wish Sixers would have maybe hit on a couple more of their top three picks, but we don't need to relitigate that one. All right. Now that you're getting into that, we got to get out of here. <laughs> I do think we want to keep this one a little bit short. Like I said, we kind of want to watch a little more of Jalen McDaniels to have a, a, a more deeper dive on the trade. But want to get our, some of our initial impressions out of the way and the details on the trade over to you as quickly as possible, at least our version of as quickly as possible. So thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.